0: Welcome to the Precision Medicine Podcast, sponsored by Trapello. This is the podcast where experts come to discuss the problems oncologists, reference labs and payers face as precision medicine grows and consider solutions for advancing the quality of patient-centered cancer care. Be sure to subscribe at precisionmedicinepodcast.com to get the latest episodes delivered straight to your inbox.
1: Welcome to another episode of the Precision Medicine Podcast. I'm Jerome Madison, Vice President at Trapello, and today we have Randy Broad, founder of C-Session. We've been listening to the feedback of all of our listeners out there. Thank you for tuning in, and we've had requests for more guests and more voices of those patients who have benefited from Precision Medicine, and Randy has a phenomenal story, and we invited him on to share it. Randy, thanks for being a guest on the Precision Medicine podcast. Well, thank you, Jerome. It's a pleasure to be here. So as we, we've we connected, C-Session is a healthcare-focused program designed to improve communication and collaboration between patients and their healthcare provider, which is a tall task. Um, but I, I want to first start with your story, which I think is just, just fascinating. Can you walk us through your experience of being diagnosed with cancer and and the different issues that you encountered along the way.
2: Sure. It was March 2008. Uh, it was a Sunday morning. I woke up and I had a cough. I'd had this nagging cough for over a year, but it would come and go, and it was very periodic. And I'd had it checked and X-rays and endoscopies, and nothing ever showed. So I just always my my primary care physician just always said you're stressed out. and you know, try to yeah. try to be try to be not so. Anyway, um, I coughed up blood that morning, so I obviously knew something was amiss. I hadn't ever done that before. I went in, and within a week's time, I was diagnosed with stage three non-small cell lung cancer. And it was needless to say a bit of a shock. And the first, I was diagnosed uh, at my community hospital where I'd been treated my entire life practically, and I my primary sent me upstairs to see the pulmonologist and he did a bronchoscopy and that was on a Friday and he said come back on Monday and we'll give you the results but we did find a mass so I walked in I was in the office there on a Monday after spending the weekend kind of cultivating all this and he walked in I was sitting there on the bench and he said you have stage three non-small cell lung cancer it is malignant you don't need me anymore. You need a thoracic oncologist. And I wouldn't wait too long to find one. Goodness. He reached over, shook my hand and said, good luck. I've got a tea time in 45 minutes. I got to go. And he turned around and walked out the room. Wow. And that was how I was diagnosed. And like most people, I mean, I was 52 years old. I was running a small business. I had a 13 and a 14-year-old at home.
1: And all I could do was think about my kids in that moment. You know, with that type of engagement with a with a healthcare provider as a patient, what do you, I mean, what is your expectation of their ability to communicate? You know, this type of really powerful information that's going to sit upon the patient. But what's your expectation about um, their bedside manner and, and their ability to deliver news like this?
2: Well, I mean, it was not, obviously it was just an absolute shock. I mean, for me, I always, you know, probably like most people thought you know somebody that got lung cancer was a gray-haired old man sitting in a dingy bar drinking bad whiskey and smoking a cigarette and i was i had the gray hair but i didn't have the rest of it so having that delivered the way it was was just alarming to say the least and i i don't know that i had any expectations i mean i really didn't you know think for a moment even when i went in there after spending the weekend thinking about it that i had quote-unquote lung cancer just I mean, I wasn't a smoker. I didn't work in the radon factory. I mean, none of them. None of it stacked up. So, I would hope, you know, like I say, what I've learned since then has just been phenomenal in talking to patients and uh, and providers. But uh, at the moment, you know, to answer your question, I just I don't know. I, I would one would hope that somebody would be a little bit more. Uh, sensitive than the way I was given that delivered that news but it was what it was and my guess is that he wasn't really thinking about it too much he was more thinking about you know hitting a straight drive on the first hole
1: and then you went on to meet with the thoracic surgeon and other care providers did that communication with your providers improve
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, well the answer to that Jerome is yes and no But I had to completely fire my first team because I met with the thoracic oncologist. He didn't even sit down next to me. He stood in front of me in the lobby and told me how he was going to take out my lung and put me on chemo and do radiation and be very, very aggressive and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then he turned around and walked away that was five minutes and then he but he said i want you to meet the surgeon and so i went and met the surgeon on the next day or two or whatever it was and well he was he hadn't even looked at my chart he didn't know if i was stage three or stage four and by this time i knew you know the difference and I, this time i actually took somebody with me so that i had an extra pair of ears and in the middle of his dissertation about how he was going to you know resect my lung um, the phone rang and he goes oh hey stop I gotta take this and it was his wife and he was she asked him to stop and get groceries uh, on the way home and I sat there just in utter disbelief and then he got back into it and he started telling me more stuff and then the phone rang again he says oh sorry I gotta take this again and then I looked at my friend and I said I can't do this I've gotta I, I, I can't do this right now and I got up and walked away and he says wait a minute I'm not done and I looked at him and I said I am and I walked out of the room and I didn't look back. And that was when I realized that I actually had to go shop for a doctor. Mm-hmm. It just never dawned on me because this is, again, where I've been treated my entire life. And fortunately, um, I found somebody after interviewing about three different doctors. I found the one that I was actually treated by. And I can almost guarantee you, had I not gone that course, you would be having an interview with somebody other than myself right now. Wow.
1: Wow. You know, as a result of this experience or, or after you, know, you endured this, what was it that helped you to focus on a larger vision uh, and to create C sessions? And, and what did you hope would happen as a result of, of your work and your efforts? I do a lot
2: of advocacy work. I, I'm kind of a cancer lightning rod, if you will, of anybody that, I, that knows me. Uh, you know, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Facebook, I'm not bashful about sharing my, my story. I, when I talk to new, especially newly diagnosed patients, I have a series of questions that I ask. It's not a long list, but it's really... And, and most of the people that I talk to are typically out of the area, they'll be out in rural America, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so most of them are being treated at a community hospital setting. And when I ask these questions, I invariably will ask, and how do you feel about that? And nine times out of 10, they say, well, I'm not happy or I'm freaking out. And based upon what most of them have said, I said, that's good because you should be. And I said, have you gotten a second opinion? And again, nine times out of 10, they'll say, well, my doctor told me I don't need one.
1: Right.
2: Of which time I will say, you don't need to walk, you should run. And so because a doctor that says you don't need a second opinion, in my opinion, is
1: not doing what they should be doing. How do patients find you? How do they come into the knowledge of what C-Sessions is and and how you can help them?
2: Well, you know, I mean, I've just started this program. I did a pilot last year and um, we did it at a planning meeting for a pharmaceutical and um, I had spoken, they'd, they'd had me come in to be the voice of the patient before, and they had about 150 people, and they actually were having this in Seattle, and I said, Randy, would you mind doing it? And that's when I brought the idea. I said, instead of just me standing up and telling my story, what if I were to recruit a oncologist, and we actually have a conversation, and we discuss treatment options, we discuss how, you know, the journey for a patient, what would be, you know, how are ways to better communicate between the two parties. Anyway, they thought it was a good idea. We did it. And that's really where it was incubated. Um, but there were some things before that that led up to that that I had to explore. And But I just kept coming across this lack of communication between the parties and the lack of transparency. And doctors, for the most part, and again, I don't mean to stereotype, but they're, they 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 speak a different language and then, you know, just a standard human off the street and they learn different things and they listen to the abstracts and research and things along those lines. And so a lot of the times what they convey is incommunicable to just a layperson like myself. And so um, I wanted to break this barrier down so that it was more transparent. And that's really what, where it
1: started. What types of events has C sessions given and how can patients actually get involved if they want to participate well
2: what i've done so far is we we do live taped programs and then we'll edit these segments down so that they're based on specific topics and then put them on the internet um for distribution but and that's the plan is i'm going to be doing at least one of those a month and and i'm not i'm geographically agnostic and cancer agnostic. It doesn't matter whether it's lung, breast, colon, pancreatic, I don't care, you know, because the the message is the same. You still, there has to be communication between the two parties. And yes, you know, the treatment options are different, but again in, in setting up these programs uh, they're not rehearsed. We have a set of topics that we will cover and it's pre, pre-agreed between the two parties so that, you know, we're not um, embarrassing somebody, if you will, but at least, uh, but we're having a conversation around treatments and then what is the best way to communicate some of these uh, different options.
1: You know, you mentioned that your diagnosis was 10 years ago and the way we treat, you know, non-small cell lung cancer today is completely different approach than the way we did it uh, 10 years ago as precision medicine has become a very, you know, common topic of conversation but you know was when you were being treated and diagnosed was the topic of gene testing molecular testing discussed at all and, and when did you come into the knowledge of like precision medicine and, and uh, you know targeted therapies well it
2: let me it was about halfway through my treatment and i remember sitting there specifically talking to my doctor and i said and this was i mean after i was deemed inoperable which was done while i was on the table um and then i started another i started my second round of chemo and and combined with radiation so i had crt for about four months um the remainder of that year and i i remember asking him i said so renato what if this doesn't work then what and he looked at me and he says, a little white pill. And I said, really? What's a little white pill? And he says, well, let's just put it this way. If, it, if you drop it in the toilet, you're going to reach in there and pick it out and keep using it. Because it mm-hmm. costs about $15,000 a month. Now, <laughs> he was obviously trying to be humorous about this. But it was um, at the time, it was a um, clinical trial. It was chrysotinib, which Pfizer created. And, um, but it was not in a, pre- it was like, I think in phase three at the time, but he went on to say, this is um, a targeted therapy and that was the first time I ever heard the word, but no, they did not test, you know, um, for ALK or EGFR or any of the, um, at the time, which I have subsequently learned more about, but, um, and there, and to your point, Jerome, there is a lot of different precision medicines that have occurred over the last 10 years And I've seen numerous people
1: benefit significantly from such. Yeah. I want to take a minute to pause for our listeners just so so you can understand the context of what we're talking about here. Now, Randy, you presented at stage three. You were on the operating table and they opened up and they deemed you inoperable at that time. And then you went on to be treated with chemotherapy and radiation, but you did not receive at targeted therapy, nor was your tumor profile, is that correct? That is correct. Yet, you are a 10-year-plus survivor. That, is, that alone is remarkable, and I'm sure you have many physicians and, and, and people who who've said the same to you and, and are very interested in your particular case for that reason, aren't they? I have um, been called an anomaly.
2: I've been called a lot of things but yeah I was actually had one doctor I was about five years out and I shared it with him and he looked at me and he just shook his head he says wow you're an anomaly and I went "Hmm, okay Uh, and then one time I was back East I was actually up um, in New York and I was asked to present again before a group of research individuals for major pharmaceutical and I remember one of the vice presidents of research At the end of my presentation, he said, "Um, I don't think you really ever had cancer. I think you should go back to your physician and find out, um, make sure that they didn't get your chart wrong. OMG. And um, I remember going and telling Renato that he about fell out of his chair. Oh, my gosh and so um he pulled up my chart he showed me my lung he showed me he brought every he says next time you go give a presentation he says i think you should open with this <laughs> yeah oh wow so yeah i've i've heard it all jerome there's no two ways around it There. are um but to your point yeah there's i'm but you know it's funny i know more 10-year survivors now um than I did five years ago, that's for sure.
1: Well, there's obviously a reason you're still here and the mission that you're, you're carrying on with C-Sessions is vitally important. So, you know, if you're speaking to those physicians that are out there, many of them listen to the podcast, what do you want them to know about the importance about number one bedside manner, but also the importance about communicating about Precision Medicine and the options are there with their patients? Well, it's key. And
2: that's, to me, uh, at, at the very root of, of this situation is to have a transparent conversation to be able to discuss what's what all the various treatment options are, and based upon their tumor type and their stage and et cetera, et cetera. Again, it's an educational process. And then maybe send them out and say, look, by the way, don't just take my word for it. Go online, check this out. Here's a good place to look. We've got a resource center upstairs, et cetera, et cetera. So that the patients are more informed and they're more engaged in the process. Because again, I come across so much where the patients just hear, well, we're going to do this, this, and this and they nod their head and go okay and don't and don't question it.
1: Yeah. And
2: again, I think it's really a two-way street.
1: It's obvious that you are here for a reason because your legacy continues with the work that you're doing with C sessions, but you also wrote a book called an it's an extraordinary life. Don't miss it. Tell us about your inspiration for writing your book and the message that you have inside.
2: Well, I was just out of uh you know okay so let me back up here just a little bit when i was deemed inoperable on the table in my post-op meeting uh with the surgeon he told me i mean i remember asking the question i said so again how naive i was at the point at the time i i said so since you didn't take anything out i guess that's a good thing and he looked at me says well actually quite opposite he goes um we didn't take it out because it wasn't going to solve the problem. You still had infected lymph nodes and you're going to have to be treated with a fairly, afforded, fairly aggressive form of chemo combined with radiation. And he says, and you probably only have about a year to live. So if I were you, I would get your things in order. So there again was hmm. somebody giving up information that I didn't even ask for. And obviously he was incorrect. And again, I remember when I shared this with my doctor, I, I could see the the fumes coming out of his ears, if you will, and um, it, he was not pleased with that. Even though this surgeon was probably, you know, as good a research, as good a surgeon as you could hope for with a knife, but he just lacked the bedside manner element. So, with this given this news, I sold my business. I took my kids out of school. We traveled various places I wanted them I wanted them to know more about who their father was because I had been running this business and working so hard at that um, you know I had I had missed some really key moments with my kids and so I wanted to have the remainder of my life be focused with them mm-hmm. and um, about a year out of treatment, I was obviously still alive, and I came across a book publishing coach, and just very, very randomly, and anyway, on that moment, I decided to write a book, and it was dedicated, it was basically for me to just chronicle some stories that mattered to me in my life that helped shape who I was, that I could leave for my kids, that they could browse or refer to in the event I wasn't around, and share some of the things that had lightened me as I grew up. And um, so that's what it was really about. And it's since um, it's actually become an Amazon bestseller. And um, it's one of the greatest accomplishments of my life, believe it or not.
1: Tremendous. Randy, do you have any examples of how you've been able to work with patients who've gotten in touch with you maybe for a second opinion or to answer you know some of their questions? Yes,
2: I have had quite a few, and but one particular really stands out. I had a close friend who was diagnosed stage four non-small cell lung cancer. He was inoperable. And he was in a rural setting. He was in South Dakota to be exact. And he was sharing he was not doing well. And he said he'd been to see his oncologist there locally, and he said he just didn't like what she was saying. And I didn't like it either, and I said, you know, let me see if I can, you know, get you um, to at least, you know, talk to my doctor here in Seattle, who works at a, at Seattle Cancer Care Alliance, which is a academia cancer center. And so I called my doctor. He said yes to have him contact me. They put him, and they talked on the phone. Matt got all of his records wired over. Uh, Renato looked at him and said you are an absolute prime candidate for this clinical trial. So he talked to Matt's oncologist there locally. The oncologist ap- agreed, and Matt was put on this clinical trial. Matt lived another five years just from that engagement. Incredible. Unfortunately, he passed away last fall, but he got five years off of doing a clinical trial and being getting a second opinion from a academia cancer center,
1: and I can't stress this enough how important that is. So you you encourage clinicians with their communication with their patient, but you actually also encourage patients and help them communicate with their provider as well. It's a two-way street, and that's why, again, I think it's really
2: important that patients do self-advocate and be as engaged in this process as they can possibly be. And again, when you hear the words for the first time, you have cancer. I know it's a daunting situation, but it's so important and it it can be the difference between life and death.
1: Well, Randy, it is indeed an extraordinary life. And uh, for our listeners, tell them where they could possibly go get the book and your website um, if they want to connect with you. The book is
2: available on Amazon. I, and it's it's an extraordinary life. Don't miss it. It's both in um, you can get it electronically, you can get it paperbound, or you can have an audio version. Either one, take your pick. And um, the website is csessions.com. And on there, there's a contact button. And I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook. Um, those are my two primaries that I that I work through. And. Um, and I'm always, you know, if you reach out to me, I don't think there's anybody ever that I haven't returned the phone calls. So more than happy to address and discuss and we'll be doing a lot more podcasts in the near future. So I'm very grateful to have been here and got a chance to talk to you
1: and, and um hopefully this will be beneficial for all. Absolutely. We thank you, Randy, first of all, for your your courage for Launching C sessions and sharing your story with as many providers and other patients because you are an inspiration. And most importantly, the mission that you're carrying out to improve communication and collaboration between patients and their healthcare providers. Because with any relationship, the thing that will ultimately make it successful is communication, and healthcare uh, is one of the most important areas where this needs to be continued to be refined. Thank you for being a guest on the Precision Medicine Podcast. Thank you.
0: You've been listening to the Precision Medicine Podcast, sponsored by Trapello. Trapello is the first clinical decision support tool to align the interests of oncologists, labs, and payers to give patients the best chance at beating cancer. To learn more, visit gettrapello.com. To subscribe to the podcast or download transcripts of any episode, visit precisionmedicinepodcast.com. We invite you to join the conversation on social media. You can find us on Twitter at PMP by Trapello or on LinkedIn at the Intervention Insights Company page. If you know someone who would enjoy the Precision Medicine Podcast, please share it. They'll thank you and so will we. We hope you'll tune in for the next episode.